Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss a new study linking alcohol to heart disease, free STD tests in Georgia, and concussions linked to mental illness. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 131 for the week of April 4th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. Before we get started, our diagnosis code for this week is W56.11 or bitten by a sea lion. Hey, sea lion. Hey, not a regular lion. Not a, a regular lion. lion. Sea. Right. I feel like sea lions are misnamed because mm-hmm. they're more like the dogs of the sea. Yeah, kind of. They're a little French bull, little just, bulldog. Yeah, they just kind of do what dogs do in the ocean. Right. I mean, I would own one. Sure, why not? not? If they were, if it were, yeah, if that was a thing, get a sea lion, put it in my pool in the backyard or something. (laughs) Yeah, just let them hang out there, throw some fish. Right. It'd be kind of cool. But you can't do that, Albert, because that's animal cruelty, because it's a wild animal. It Uh, is, right. So I can't do that. If it was domesticated. Right, for sure. If this were a different world. Yes. But, if it were domesticated and I was bitten by it, I would have this diagnosis code. Woo! Woo! All right, first up, we've got drinking definitely harms health. In a new study, <laughs> researchers analyzed data from more than 371,000 British adults who had an average of nine drinks a week. As in previous studies, this new paper found that light to moderate drinkers had the lowest heart disease risk, followed by people who did not drink. People who drank heavily had the highest risk. However, light to moderate drinkers tended to have healthier lifestyles than those who didn't drink, including more physical activity, more vegetables in their diet, and less smoking. Taking just a few healthy lifestyle factors into account made any benefit associated with alcohol less significant. The findings suggested a rise in heart risk even at levels of drinking considered low risk by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That means that reducing drinking can benefit even people who have just one alcoholic beverage per day, but the health benefits of cutting back may be more substantial in those who drink more, according to the researchers. Okay, huh? so this is interesting. There's a lot so to unpack like, here. Yeah, it's like those who drink, but only lightly or moderately, are healthier than those who don't drink. But right. you can cut your risk of heart disease by... Drinking less? I'm, huh. Yeah, it seems worded very weird. And I think that's just how the story is written on the actual right. source itself. And uh, here's a quote that says The findings affirm that alcohol intake should not be recommended to improve cardiovascular health. Rather, that reducing alcohol intake will likely reduce cardiovascular risk in all individuals. Huh. Okay. Even though the study shows that those who drink a little bit have a healthier lifestyle and are healthier than those who don't drink at all. Right. I think what they, this almost sounds like an oopsie study. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're like, we're like, it was motivated to prove that alcohol is like bad. And then it found that it was like, hey, these people are usually more active individuals because if they're light drinkers and they're probably out with their friends and if they're doing things with their friends and they're more likely to go to work out with their friends and stuff like that. 
I feel like that's maybe what it's trying to like what it found. But I think maybe they were like, but we're just saying you should not drink at right. all. <laughs> Still. Still, please. Alcohol is risky. And it is, sure, it is. But everything in moderation, everybody. That's the story. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting, that was an interesting story. I think I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the researchers were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have these statistics here, but listen. Right. Right. There's other statistics too. So it just goes back to having, you know, we have a lot of health-related studies and stuff in this wide podcast, and a lot of times they end up contradicting themselves. And it's mm-hmm. very interesting. Next up, free STD screenings. Eight health departments in Georgia, USA will be offering screenings for sexually transmitted diseases during the month of April in observance of STD Awareness Month. The screenings will be free and confidential. According to the Coastal Health District, all STDs can be treated, but if they're left untreated, they can cause an increased risk of HIV, long-term abdominal pain, infertility, and other issues. So, this is Georgia, which is historically more I, a more conservative state. Right. Now, not in this past election, right? That was the whole thing. Right. But the point I'm trying to make, Albert, is I'm pretty sure that most, if not all, Planned Parenthoods give free STD screenings, regardless yeah. as to whether or not it's an STD awareness month. Right, or at least low cost. So I think maybe this could be an interesting way to go about it because historically, conservatives don't necessarily like Planned Parenthood because of the other, you know, health-related, right. I guess, reproduction health-related services that they provide. Sure. You know, this is essentially what. Planned Parenthood does. Right. So it's good that Georgia is doing this. Um, I think it might be like a, a good rebrand <laughs> potentially for Planned Parenthood in a conservative state. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, any kind of, usually most, and that goes beyond Planned Parenthood in general. I'm pretty sure in the college that I went to, they offered free STD screenings as well. Mm-hmm. So this isn't something that's unheard of. Yeah, that's true. No, I'm pretty sure when I went to college, STD screenings were free. I think Kent State still does. Oh, I don't yeah, know if I, I should say that. I think Akron does too. I'm pretty sure they both have free STD screenings, at least for students. I mean, not for the community, but for anyone who goes. That... Yeah. Hmm. Next up, concussions linked to mental illness. Among individuals between 5 and 18 years of age, sustaining a concussion is associated with an increased risk for mental health visits self-harm and psychiatric hospitalization compared with their peers who had sustained an orthopedic injury, according to a study finding published in JAMA Network Open. Previous research suggests a concussion may exacerbate existing mental health issues, but little is known about the link between concussion and the onset of new psychopathologies or long-term mental illness. The objective of the current study was to assess whether sustaining a concussion is tied to an increased risk of mental health problems among the pediatric patient population. So I think this is the result of that big concussion study that happened and related to the NFL. Right. Where that found that if you have, you know, traumatic, constant traumatic injury or instances affecting your brain um, or having a lot of concussions over the course of an entire career, it leads to definitely poor mental health um, in the long term. I forget what the name of the of it was. I forget it's what like the name of it was. CTL or something like C. 
CTE. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're yeah, I think you're right. CTE, um, something like that. So I think they're trying to figure out, this is probably like a, okay, well, how, when does it start? Like does, if mm -hmm. it, if a, if a kid's playing football and they have a, a concussion when they're a kid, does it carry on to their, um, adulthood? Now I had a concussion in high school Whoa. and I'm what still feeling my mental health is fine. So I don't fall within the age range here, but if I did at the time, and I did at the time, so I was 16, I think I would have been okay. So Yeah. I've never had a concussion. I, I was a, I was, I don't know, I played it safe. I wasn't an athlete. Yeah, I was a mathlete. Well, no, I wasn't that either. <laughs> I was a theater with, kid, so nothing with unless leap. a prop fell on my head, I wasn't going to get a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. First up, oh my goodness gracious, Albert, what is it today? <laughs> cybersecurity Act introduced. Senators Bill Cassidy and Jackie Rosen introduced the Bipartisan Healthcare Cybersecurity Act shortly after President Biden warned all critical infrastructure sectors to harden their cyber defenses to safeguard against potential Russian cyber attacks. The act aims to strengthen healthcare cybersecurity by partnering the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, with the HHS. Specifically, the act would require CISA and HHS to enter into an agreement as defined by CISA. That would improve cybersecurity in the healthcare and public health sector. If passed, CISA will work with information sharing organizations and analyze centers to create resources specific to the healthcare sector and to promote threat sharing. The act also supports training efforts for private sector healthcare experts. CISA would be responsible for educating healthcare asset owners and operators on the cybersecurity risks within the sector and ways to manage those risks. Huh. Oh, that's good. Seems like something's yeah. finally happening. Um, A proactive cybersecurity area. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I guess I guess you could say it's proactive. Well, you're oh, right. I was, guess you could. It, yeah, it 20 years too late. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> all it took was a threat. And then we're like, oh, better do something. Ooh, but really, the threat's uh, always been there. The threat's always been there, folks. Yeah, we've been talking about it for years. We're way ahead of our time here. Oh, my gosh. Right? If only the Senate had listened to our podcast, they would have done this years ago. <laughs> <laughs> So if any yeah, of you knows the like, senator, or if any of you knows the congressman, please send them the link to our podcast and tell them that they yep, can really... Say, hey, these people have an entire session or section right. about breaches. Right. We have um, our finger on the pulse, man. We have our finger on the pulse of cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, good stuff. I, it seems like this is in the very introductory stage, so hopefully it keeps steam. Yes. Um, I feel like what happens a lot of time is like something happens in the real world and the government's like, oh crap, we got to get ourselves together. They push something out that's pretty much like, hey, and that's what this bill is like, hey, we need to do some more research on this right. to come up with a bill that has some actual findings and then it might lose steam. But hopefully it doesn't. Yes, I hope not. 
This was just introduced on the 23rd, so two Wednesdays ago. Next up, next up, where will Lapsus strike next? Lapsus, don't forget about the dollar sign at the end, hackers, used compromised credentials to break into the network of customer service giant Siddle in January, days before subsequently accessing the internal systems of authentication giant Okta. Customers only learned of Okta's January security breach on March 22nd after the Lapsus hacking group published screenshots revealing it had access to Okta's internal apps and systems some two months earlier. Okta admitted the compromise in a blog post and later confirmed 366 of its corporate customers are affected by the breach or about 2.5% of its customer base. Okta has faced criticism for not warning customers sooner of the Siddle breach following its receipt of Mandiant's report dated March 17th. Okta Chief Security Officer David Bradbury said the company should have moved more swiftly to understand its implications. Mm, this is a follow-up to a story we did last week, I believe, or recently, about Lapsus. Yeah, I think it was recently. Um, yeah. I do remember talking about Okta. It seems like this is more so about a subsequent attack that happened as the result of the successful attack on Okta because Lab found a spreadsheet of passwords and on that Ugh. spreadsheet of passwords or um, the network or authorization for a company called Siddle. Mm -hmm. So we saw this attack, Albert, with the SolarWinds attack a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. yep. This is the this is the aftermath. There's a big attack that happens. It's like a nuke, and then there's the aftermath. And the aftermath right. is usually a lot worse than the original attack. Right, because everyone's guard is down. Well, you'd think your guard would be up, but really you're distracted and you're working on other stuff and you don't yeah. pay attention. Yep, you're in crisis control, and then all of a sudden somebody takes advantage. Yep. Lapsus is really uh, making repeated... Uh, appearances on this podcast so this is the, now the lapsus segment so right we yeah breach patrol is turning into a, where is lapsus today <laughs> next up from sweet to sour japanese confectionery manufacturer morinaga has warned that a suspected data breach of its online store may have exposed the personal information of more than 1.6 million customers Potentially exposed information includes the names, addresses, telephone numbers, dates of birth, purchase histories, and, in fewer than 4,000 instances, email addresses of affected Morinaga direct customers. The firm fears that attackers access several servers managed by the vendor after exploiting vulnerabilities in its network. The problem was identified on March 13th when staff investigating the cause of error messages on company-managed servers detected evidence of unauthorized access. Morinaga shut down external access to its network after discovering the breach before hiring external experts and set about investigating the breach. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It just goes to show you that they'll attack anything, Albert. Anything it, they can it, get their little briny hands on. Right. A confectionery manufacturer. This is candy, folks. This is candy. This is this is candy. We're talking Willy Wonka. We're cyber talking security somewhat, attack here. Exactly. Even well, even Wonka had a cybersecurity oompa loompa expert keeping that yeah. factory under lock. And you know I'm pretty sure Willy Wonka has never had a data breach. So obviously you know, he, has, uh, he might be the only one and, and good. Good. 
Good for him. Good. Good for him. But you know what? Marinaga, you need to take notes. Take notes. <laughs> Either way, now I, I'm going to candy. Yeah. Personal yeah. information of 1.6 million customers. What kind of personal information does that entail? Is that just name, email, address? Well, it's an email in what less than four thousand instances. The email addresses, so that's weird. Yeah, so there's that's a cool. they got info Purchase on one point six million. But, birth. Yeah. So the result yeah. of this is phishing attempts. Probably, I don't think necessarily knowing the purchase history of a confectionery manufacturer is really that sensitive. Right. Oh right. man, I really like chocolate candy bars and the hackers just like oh you like chocolate like they shame you for it well, we got that this yep but they're constantly sending my, you like scams in the mail for like sign up for a chocolate subscription but really the money just doesn't <laughs> yeah they could, that's what it will do it is will be either phishing attempt by mail or phishing attempt by telephone yeah so stay vigilant morinaga customers yes and that's it for this week's wrap up of your weekly healthcare news i'm at money penny and I'm Albert Battistelli. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bandage Podcast produced by eTactics.